Should doctors tell mothers before killing their baby? Welcome to Answers News for Monday, October 16th, 2023. And we're here at the Creation Museum and Legacy Hall with a live studio audience. We you guys clap and make yourselves known to those Come on, watching? Here we go. All right. All right. There we go. Hey, that is what I'm talking about. That's yeah. a NASCAR clap right That's there. That's good stuff right there. Well, in today's top story, doctors booked an abortion for an at-risk baby before informing the mother. And we'll get right into that story. I'm Brian Osborne, Dr. Jennifer Rivera, Rocket Rob Webb, giving you a biblical take on lots of different articles in our day and age. Let's jump into the first one, mm-hmm. and that is doctors booked an abortion for an at-risk baby without mother's consent. The mother was completely shocked. And so what happened is this woman went in to, of course, get her baby looked at within the hospital she was at. This was located in an island south of the UK, so it's over in that area. And basically her baby has a problem where she's got kind of like a tumor or growth on the back of the head in the womb. And for babies with that particular problem, they have an expectancy of roughly 55% survival rate. Uh, actually giving birth to come out alive. And so the doctors oftentimes would just want to go ahead and terminate that baby, kill it, abort it. And so they actually scheduled for this woman, they scheduled her an abortion without her consent. And then they told her basically she was going to have the abortion. Of course, she said no to that, but they did it without even telling her. Mm-hmm. And I think what's ironic is after she says, no, you know, I, I want to keep my baby, she refuses this. And when they, she find, gets this knowledge that they've scheduled the abortion, they stop responding to her phone calls. They won't answer any of her questions anymore. And she was basically written off uh, mm-hmm. once she would not go along basically right. with their agenda and, and go ahead and get that abortion. Yeah, essentially we're seeing this over and over again where the doctors are pushing these parents to have this abortion basically to murder their child. And I think it's just more evidence that this issue has really never been about choice, really. I mean, they say that over and over again, it's all about choice. Really, that's just a smokescreen for having the freedom to really sin, to to have sexual sin without any consequences. And that's what we're seeing here today. And this is uh, coming to us from the BBC, from across the pond in Britain. But notice that it's going to be coming to America here very soon. America is usually about one generation behind. Um, But one of the things I liked about this article that um, uh, this mother said, and she said, uh, faced with having only a few months with her daughter, uh, Jenner did what most people do when they realize their time with a loved one will be cut short. She valued, she valued it even more. And I think that's what we have to remember. Um, and then it goes on to say, unfortunately, our medical institutions consider the lives of children like Grace to be worthless because her life was short. Their logic goes, they should simply make it shorter by ending it. And really, that's the so-called easier option. Just go with the abortion, not have to worry about uh, spending the expenses and the time and the money. And it's just a reminder that we're living as single curse and broken world where the Bible says that death is an enemy. But the Bible also says this, Proverbs chapter 8, all who hate God ultimately love death. And we're living in a culture of death right now. And this is more evidence of that. And Satan's actually been attacking the family unit, including children, ever since the beginning. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and Satan's continuing to do this more and more. So it's just, it really, it's a wake-up call for us Christians that until the Lord returns, Christians, we got to get off the sidelines. We got to get back into this game, start fighting for the preborn. All of our preborn neighbors who are made in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So no boy or girl is ever a mistake. No child is ever an accident, no matter how many times the culture says it. And really, it all starts with us going back to the biblical worldview. we got to go back to having a foundation built on God's word. That's where we actually will be able to fight this issue. Genesis 1.27, all people are made in the image of God. And that's how we're going to win this battle as Christians. 
evolution's getting back to it. Because you think about the evolutionary worldview, uh, which says we're all just a bunch of animals, right? So spare cats, spare kids, what's the difference, right? So they really don't have a value or a foundation for life. And that's why it's so critical we get back to having the right worldview to actually view this issue today, get back to the foundation. Yeah, especially as a mother, though, and caring for children, mm-hmm. I can imagine that, you know, you can feel that baby moving inside you, and though they may tell you, you know, that, you know, your child has, you know, it's very minimal, you know, chance that it's going to live outside the womb. You're going to take advantage of every moment you can to talk to that child, sing to that child, mm-hmm. pray over that child, because we have seen miracles happen, you know, where That's doctors right. have said your child has a 0% chance of survival, and that child is born, and they end up living maybe two months, six months, sometimes you know, through childhood. And, and so, I mean, I just herald her for standing up against the, the cultural yeah, agenda God. and the pressure um, and for, you know, just hanging on to that child as long as she could. Yeah. And biblically, we understand that it's a child made in God's image from fertilization. Mm-hmm. So just because it could possibly die fairly soon doesn't mean you kill it earlier, mm-hmm. right? If your son could die in a few months and he's 10 years old, doesn't mean you kill him right now. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. you would treasure that time and hope that there'd be an intervention to save his life in that particular time. Mm-hmm. But Rob, as you were saying, this comes with an expectation from the secular community in our culture, the secular push to really embrace the evolutionary ideology of who we are and so what God says who we are. We're made in God's image from fertilization. We have inherent value because of that. Well, in the second worldview, you just rearrange Ponscom, and essentially your value is how much you can contribute to society. I mean, this is in line with their worldview. It is. Being consistent with their worldview. And if you cannot contribute that much, well, then you're going to be um, be a weight on society. You're going to drag it down. And so you should be just taken out of the equation so others can flourish more so. And, of course, that's utterly nonsense in the biblical worldview, but that's the secular worldview. That's why, by the way, you see nowadays throughout places like Germany, throughout Europe, the average abortion rate of those with Down syndrome in the womb is over 90%. In America, it's 60% of children with Down syndrome in the womb are aborted, rooted in this ideology of evolutionary thinking, eugenics as well, kind of some are better I was gonna born than I say their goal others. is to eradicate yeah. that completely, right? We're gonna see that number even higher to the point in Europe where there probably is like less than 1%. Well, and Iceland yes. bragged about that a few years ago. Yes. Iceland <laughs> bragged, they said, well, we have, we've gotten rid of Down syndrome in our, in our, where we live. Well, yeah, because they killed all the babies with Down syndrome in the womb before they were born. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's just no surprise. I mean, as a culture drifts farther and farther away from the truth of God's word, we're seeing the collapse of the Christian morality here. I mean, that's why we're seeing abortion. We're seeing death rampant here. And just real quick as a reminder here, speaking on that, um, if you guys live in Ohio, if you guys uh, know family or friends in yeah. Ohio, there's a huge issue coming up called Issue 1. It's going to be coming up on the ballot next month in November. Uh, make sure if you guys live in Ohio, make sure you go out there and vote no on this issue. If you guys are unfamiliar with this, Um, This is essentially the push by the state government of Ohio to try to enshrine abortion rights into the Ohio Constitution, right? So you heard heard that right. They're trying to enshrine the right to murder your child into the Constitution. So this is, I can't overstate this enough how serious of an issue this is. So make sure you guys, um, number one, go out there and vote. Vote no on this issue. Number two, pray. Continue to pray for this nation. Uh, Pray for state legislators that they do the right thing, that they get back to God and his word and his standards. And if you're from a different state, be on the lookout for similar things say, coming the down the The ultimate goal is to state. get into the U.S. Yeah. Constitution. So that's, that's the ultimate yep. goal here yep. is to protect abortion under the U.S. Mm-hmm. Constitution. Yep. All right, moving on to our next article, kind of humorous, sad, but humorous at the same time. Christian woman's don't euthanize me tattoo is a tragic <laughs> necessity in modern Canada. And so it's a, it's a neat little story in the sense of this woman getting a tattoo. So she was 81 when she got her first tattoo. Her name is Christine Nagel and 81. And she doesn't even approve of tattoos, but she got this tattoo. (laughs) 
that says, don't euthanize and me. I, and I believe we have an image of it, right? We if you do. guys want to check go. it out, there, there you go. So she's don't euthanize right there. me. It's just sad that you even it's have, sad to, you do have that. to do that. I feel like she got a, she yeah. should have like a heart around it, you know, <laughs> I was just like I love too. mom, yeah. kind of. Yeah. Uh, but basically, because of the laws in Canada, it's so easily to be euthanized or to allow permission for someone to euthanize you uh, that uh, you have to be very careful, especially if you are in that demographic where they think, well, you need to be gotten rid of because you're not that useful anymore. Those mm-hmm. those with disabilities or those who are older, and so there have been many cases in Canada where it's questionable whether they actually gave permission to be euthanized, and so. She's trying to be sure if I can speak or not, my tattoo says it all. (laughs) Yeah, I I really love what she said here. She said, this tattoo reminds me of my own value personally and gives me the message that I don't want my life cut short and I don't want anybody else's life cut short. Nobody has a right to destroy life. The person may not be so smart or so good looking or have such a high quality of life, but the quality of life that God gives each person is the same for everybody. I don't want to be kept alive mechanically, but I do not, I, but I do want to die naturally because suffering doesn't stop us from continuing our race to heaven. And then she ends with respect the life you have. It's a gift from God. Amen. I just love the way she summed that up. And really, just like the last article we covered here, it is only God that has the right to give and take away life. It is not up to any of us. It's only up to God. I mean, Deuteronomy 32, 39 makes that very clear. It says, see now that I, even I am he, there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. God is sovereign, guys. He's sovereign over everything, including life itself. You know, I like where Psalm 31:15 says, you know, my times are in your hands. And I like that because I would much rather know that my time and my time here on earth is in the hands of my creator and my savior than man's doctors and medical professionals. I mean, yeah, wouldn't so we all be more right. secure in knowing that the God of the, you know, the universe who loves you and died for you knows the exact number of days uh, that you're going to be here? And, and you know, one thing I thought was really cool is she says after she got this tattoo, though, you know, when she's like at her medical appointments, I guess, things like that, she says doctors would see that tattoo and they're walking by and she says they're yeah, giving her a thumbs right. up, you know, when they walk by. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she's like, you know, she truly believes this because doctors don't, you know, in their heart of hearts, don't want to be involved. At least most of most them. Most of them. Yeah, they right. say it just involved, went against the right, whole idea of killing being a doctor. people. Right. It's, yeah. it's just because this made legislation in, in, uh, in Canada, which stands for the medical assistance in dying bills, basically the, the legislation that's out there that controls this um, euthanasia. Um, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. They probably don't, but they're just regulated too. Yeah. So for our friends in Canada, we got some in the audience, maybe you should get a tattoo. I don't know. There you go. Can I even say that legally? I probably can't. All right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> think about that carefully and biblically. Pray to God. But anyway, uh, but moving on to our next yeah, article. <laughs> could AI communicate with aliens better than we could? That was a could? great segue there. You, the... <laughs> you like how I did that? I just <laughs> straight. Just, I'm, like, I'm going to get myself out of this hole. Just jump straight to the next <laughs> article. All right. Uh, so in this whole article, the basic idea is like, hey, we need to be trying to find aliens. Of course, that's a big evolutionary push. And the evolutionary ideology, they assume aliens must exist because we evolved by random chance accident here. So surely some other life evolved by random chance accident somewhere over there in outer space. And somehow at some point we need to communicate with them because maybe uh, they might be like us or maybe they're much better than us. They're much smarter, bigger, faster, help with all our problems, give us technologies, etc. There seems to be this big evolutionary push to find this life. But this article is dealing with the issue. But if we do have contact with aliens, then how can we talk with them? 
because most likely we don't speak the same language. Although most movies you have, right, when the aliens meet the humans, they speak English. Amazingly so. Or have this amazing translator that makes them be able to understand. Universal translator, right? Got to get it right, right? So yeah, that's that also is what we see on the movies, but probably not in real life. And so. Next, I have a quote here. It says, in popular culture, we've gotten used to aliens speaking English or being instantly understandable with the help of a seemingly magical universal translator. Here's the next line. In real life, it might not <laughs> be so easy. In real life. In you know this, that joke In real life, as you talk about the aliens. <laughs> so they're trying to figure out how to maybe use AI to understand language better and how to understand different languages better, even languages, quote unquote, from animals, which is not the same as human language, of course, but there is a sort of communication they do. And they're applying AI to that and trying to figure out how this might be used to communicate with aliens, aliens later on. And real quick, spoiler alert for those that don't know, space aliens are not real. Okay. So just kind of get that out there. If you guys want to learn more about that, we actually have a great pocket guide that we sell here at our bookstore called UFOs and ETs written by our resident astronomer, Dr. Yeah. Danny Falcon. We have a small little tract as well, written by Dr. Jason Lyle. Um, you guys can actually purchase a whole bunch of these by your church. You can put your name on the back. Uh, it talks about a lot of the theological problems of, of realizing if there's intelligent life out, out there. Um, you're going to run, run into all sorts of problems when we start with our thinking on God's word. But uh, basically, those, this whole thing is based on what's called uh, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence called SETI. It's been uh, going on since the 1960s. They've been pouring millions of dollars into this program, trying to listen for these uh, so-called uh, non-random patterns from in, uh, you know, these intelligent alien races trying to communicate with us. And guess how many signals they've actually detected and confirmed from aliens ever since then? How many, guys? Zero, right? And still they're not yet convinced. They're still pouring money into this year after year after year. Uh, it's part of the, what's called the Fermi paradox, right? So um, basically Fermi basically asks, where is everybody? Where is everybody? Because in the evolutionary worldview, they believe, you know, if the universe is billions of years old and if life evolved on Earth, then it had to evolve elsewhere, somewhere in the universe where the conditions are just right for life. And so really in the evolutionary worldview, it's a necessity. They have to be able to have alien races scattered all throughout the universe. But uh, uh, just scientifically speaking, when we look at the evidence, we don't see that, right? We see how unique the Earth is and we see our unique place in the universe, which actually confirms the biblical worldview, but it's really it's a paradox for the evolutionary worldview. And so time and time again, that's why they're out there. They're always out there looking. They're always looking for it. It just reminded me of, uh, uh, there's a movie called The Arrival that came out about a decade ago. And they're basically taking that kind of, uh, that concept from science fiction, now trying to move it into reality, which obviously has a lot of problems there. Uh, the cool part of this article was the observational science that they're actually doing, because what they're doing is studying dolphins and the noises and communication mm, that, that dolphins have. Cool. And then cool. they're actually using AI to help them interpret that. I mean, I don't think we'll ever be able to have a conversation with a dolphin, but they're trying to just understand better how they communicate to one another. Right. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. And we all agree. We're like, why weren't they spending more time yeah, spend on that? Spend more research on that. Research, yeah, rather than taking the lot. Trying to take it out there to yeah. outer space. And I really liked, I found this out, every dolphin has its own unique signature whistle. <laughs> I kind of identify her like human names. So that was pretty yeah, wild, isn't it? That's pretty cool. That's really neat. Yeah. And it's really interesting throughout the article, they're talking about information theory. You know, they're talking about um, there's all these different theories that are out there, how we use language, how language is constructed. But what always gets me is every time I read these type of articles, I always think about what about DNA, right? If you guys know anything about DNA, it is the most complex language system ever. I mean, we look at DNA, we see language, we see information. Um, the same scientists, you think they would have the same type of mentality towards DNA? No, they would look at DNA 
and say, nope, that's chance random processes. But yet they get, they get excited over just simple radio signals coming from space. You guys see the inconsistency there? Um, so obviously or it, sometimes with DNA, they say, oh, it is so complex. It is a code. There had to be an author and designer. It must have come from aliens. It must have come from aliens. Yeah, that that's, that's, too. Too, so, that's true. That's you know. so true. Yeah. Exactly. Which really kind of boils out to the heart of the matter and all of this. And so we got yeah, a couple slides so. here to illustrate that. So is there anybody out there? The response, rightly understood, I am the Lord your God, creator of heavens and the earth, the God mm. of the Bible. Is there anybody the else, else out, out there? there. <laughs> right? We don't want to hear from <laughs> you, right? Yeah. Which is really what the heart of the matter actually is. Yeah, so, it comes down to Romans chapter 3. Yeah. No one does good, no not one. No one seeks for God, right? So basically, fallen man, they'd rather believe in imaginary aliens than the creator of the universe. That's really what it comes down to. I wish we could spend more time on this article, but we I must go to the next article, which is super sad. But Johnny Can't Spell Gay is the title. And so right now in Los Angeles, with large majorities of their students that are incompetent <laughs> in math and English and so forth, well, the Los Angeles schools are wrapping up their efforts to teach more about gay pride and gender indoctrination. I'm just going to read straight from the introduction of the article here just a little bit. It's been almost 90 days, and this was last week, by the way, this all occurred. It's been almost 90 days since Gay Pride Month. And according to the Los Angeles School District, that's too long of a hiatus uh, from the imperative of immersing young children in the ideology of the gay and transgender identity. So throughout the week of October 9th, many ele elementary school classrooms, many elementary school yeah, classrooms in L.A. will celebrate National Coming Out Day, which falls on October 11th. Now, bear in mind, October now is LGBTQ plus History Month, so there's all that indoctrination all month with this. Now you've got a special week, the Coming Out Day, and for each day of the week, they actually have a different celebrity that has came out in the past that you celebrate on that particular day, and you're doing this to elementary-age school kids. Kindergarten, six-year-olds. Yeah, all the way back down to kindergarten. And yeah. so, and they're literally teaching them how to be basically good gender and critical race theorists because what they want the kids to do is really have a Marxist ideology about society and sexuality. Let me read this last thing. I'll hand it off to these guys. At the week of Action Start, teachers should engage kindergarten children and first grade students in discussions about identity aided by an activity called Identity Map. This is what the kids are going to do under this whole program. Pupils chart their experiences of discrimination or privilege along 12 axes, including race, gender ideology, sexuality, mental health, and body size. Your kindergartners will love this. This mapping allows seven-year-olds to see themselves through the lens of intersectionality. Teachers then post the identity maps on the wall for a class discussion about students' multiple identities. And by the way, intersectionality is one of the tools used by the critical race theorists, the Marxists, to basically see how many areas of oppression you've experienced. So it, basically, according to them, either you're an oppressor or the oppressed. And you can be oppressed in multiple ways. You can be oppressed based on your gender. If you're female, you're more oppressed than a man. If you have a dark brown skin, you've been more oppressed because of that. If you're a sexual minority, anything other than heterosexual, then you're part of the sexual minority. You've been oppressed because of that. And the more oppression groups you fall into, the more oppressed you've been. Therefore, the more weight and reparations you deserve because of the oppression you've endured. This is all Marxist ideology, just more of a neo-Marxism, where you have a new oppressor, a new oppressed, but same ideology. And they're teaching that to kids instead of math and English, which they're mm -hmm. failing at by vast majorities. Yep. I mean, as a teacher for a long time, I know Brian and I both were in the classroom for a number of years, and 
I mean, 61% of the third graders, they said, cannot even, you know, are not even proficient in basic English. And I thought it was kind of ironic they actually mentioned this in the articles. You know, if they're not even proficient in English, they're not even going to be able to read all these terms and ideologies. They I want know. these kids to understand because they're not even going to be able to communicate well, an intelligent thought. They make the yeah. point in the article that these are the same terms used in college classrooms. Right. They're just so um, explicit and so... I mean, it, it, we just really need to pray for our children, yeah. especially a lot of these public school kids who are in these large school districts. This is where it's really occurring is in these major cities where um, this agenda is just so, so prevalent. And they only say what 59% of the kids were had low standard for math competency. Yeah. So that's sad. they're foregoing the basics, right? Basic of math and English and things you need to do to be successful for this. Um, yeah, this trans ideology nonsense yeah. is higher priority than simple math and reading and history and things that like, like when you guys were in school, you'd have to take classes on that. Well, that's no longer the, the case here. Um, it's just a reminder that schools are not neutral, right? So beware for parents, right? If you're sending your kids to these schools, know that this might be happening. And really it just reminds me that there is a war on children today, going back to like we talked about uh, previously, going back to the very beginning, Satan has been trying to attack the family unit, attacking children ever since Genesis chapter three. And lives and souls are really at stake here, guys. Um, and this whole national coming out day, I just retitled that to National Celebrate Sin Day, Sexual Sin Day. That's really what it is. Um, and the reason why they're trying to indoctrinate these seven-year-olds with the lens of intersectionality, uh, the reason why is because Marxist leaders, they know that in order to control the next generation, they got to be able to control the youth. And that's exactly what their battle plan has been since the beginning. So it's really no surprise there. And destroy the family. This is why a lot of the this, family they hide from the family. Oh, yeah. Right? When the children start talking about things with the teachers, the teachers don't have to tell the parents And it anything. comes down to this unbiblical ideology that essentially feelings equal your truth, right? How you feel, how you identify, that's really your so-called truth, which obviously is very unbiblical. We need to be staying away from that. We need to be uh, really standing up for truth today. That's what we're missing today. We're missing uh, more and more Christians need to be salt and light in this culture, standing up for truth in a, in a world that's basically just fallen for lies nowadays. And like Dr. Vera was saying, I mean, um, over 76% of eighth graders did not meet math standards, yet they can, uh, you know, identify all this so-called gender spectrum, but they can't meet basic math standards. And so I'm just very concerned about the next generation in terms of STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. We're going to fall way behind unless we correct this issue. Well, and then right along with that as well, they make the point in the article that all this unwarranted exposure to adult sexual obsessions to these kids will only serve to engrave the idea that these kids are expected to pick from different sexual identities other than cisgender. Cisgender yep. is the sexuality that you're born with. So basically, they'll get the idea, okay, I need to be part of the oppressed class because mm -hmm. the oppressors are the bad guys. I don't want to be one of the bad guys. So at least I got to be non-binary. It's don't almost like the anything. popular group. Is I want to yeah, be part, cool of, the kids. Be part right. of the popular group, right? So I'm going to have to you know, reject yeah. my I can't be an oppressor. Gender. And right. so you've got to latch on to yeah. one of those. And they make the point that the number of trans-identifying students has risen exponentially the last few years. Mm -hmm. Why? Because of this push and of these mm -hmm. ideas. And what it shows is this rise is proof that this is a social contagion, not a biological reality. It's an ideology being imposed and influencing kids, so many of them, and corrupting them, leading down a very dark, dangerous path that leads to their destruction, which is what the enemy wants. And the article ends like this. If this is not grooming... It's hard to know what is. Yeah. It's grooming them to hold a particular ideology that will lead to their destruction. That's why, as you were saying, Rob, we've got to stand on biblical authority, mm -hmm. teach ourselves and our kids to defend biblical authority from the beginning. Teach your kids. 
Teach your kids. They must know. If they don't know what they believe and why rooted in God's word, they will not stand in the day and age in which say, we God live. God chose your gender, mm -hmm. right? Before, I mean, yep. your mother even knew she was expecting your gender was chosen by the creator of the universe to reflect his glory. Amen. Right? God doesn't make mistakes. He made you on purpose for a purpose. And if you guys like to learn more about um, and, and really how to build your Christian worldview, know what you believe and why you believe it, to really have answers to help you defend your faith, I highly encourage you guys. This guy right here wrote a book called Quick Answers to Social Issues. Make sure you guys check this out. Really um, quick answers, right? Yep. Quick, short answers. Um, very easy to read. Uh, you'll be able to have those responses to the LGBTQ uh, community that's out there in terms of marriage and sexuality from God's word. You'll be able to have that biblical response there uh, from this book. You can pick it up at our bookstore. Let me encourage you. We do have answers. They're not hard. I tell people all the time. They're not popular, but we have answers. If you'll yep. stand on God's yep. word, that's, that's right. really all it is. All right, moving on to something a little bit more fun to talk about. Uh, still sad in different ways, though. I don't know. Can we go back to the aliens one? That's <laughs> <I know>. fun. <laughs> That's a little better than this, too. All right, long-term lizard study challenges the rules of evolutionary biology. And um, so basically, the whole article, this is what it's all about. It says, Charles Darwin thought that evolution was constantly happening. Things were always changing from one thing to another. And yet, here was the problem. When you looked at the fossil record and found the fossil of, like, lizards, for example, you find them, the lizards look amazingly like lizards with any, no real change over time. Even mm -hmm. if they were separated, separated by 50 million years, they still looked like lizards. lizards. And so what's happening here, and then they've also noted here recently, we have seen tons of evidence where we see rapid evolution occurring even in one generation. And, and so we see rapid evolution, rapid change happening presently, but there's a lack of change in the fossil record. That's called the stasis paradox. That is, there shouldn't be no change, but there is no change. That's a paradox of the evolutionists. Now, before I hand it off, what's really happening here is just a, a confusing of terms. And so when they talk about we observe rapid evolution, uh, uh, in living things today, it's called, talking about rapid speciation, where we'll see lizards make a bunch of lizards over a period of time. Tons of variation, but lizards say lizards. Cats make variations of cats. Dogs, dogs. And so you can see a rapid change in a particular kind, dog kind, cat kind, and so forth. But they always say the same kind. And yet in the fossil record, we don't see change from one kind, like a dog, into another kind, like a cat. And that is their paradox. Makes sense in the biblical worldview. God made dogs, and dogs make variations of Dogs. Yeah, you guys get it, go. right? You got some smart kids. <laughs> Killing it, right? Cats, cats, <laughs> elephants, elephants. But they expect big change. They don't see that. And then when they see this, uh, the fast, small change presently, they're like, well, then soon we see change in the fossil record, and they don't. So it's a big problem for them. So this study, you know, in the title, it says long-term lizard yeah. study. So my <laughs> yeah. first question was, oh, you know. Like 20 years, how, how, 50 right, years. Did this guy and... go out in nature and study these yeah. lizards for 20 years? And they're like heralding how long this right. study is. It's so amazing. Three years. That's it. <laughs> so he goes, and now in the time frame of evolution, right, we're talking billions of years, right? Mm -hmm. Not even three a blink. Year, <laughs> Not even a blink. Three years is nothing. Yeah. But they're saying this extensive three-year study where he basically was going out every six months. He was tagging anole lizards. That's yeah, like four this, different species. Four diff they even talk about, oh, the number of species he examined. It was just four different lizard species in the span of three years. And every six months, he'd go out and kind of tag them. And then he would go back in six months and see, well, you know, which ones are still alive? Or did he notice yeah. any type of, and he noticed, you know, some variations maybe, you know, within one generation, but we would expect that. Here's the key though. What, what were they all? Lizards. lizards. <laughs> okay, they lizards were all remain still lizards. in the same 
How about species, that? and they're saying that it's evidence of evolution. So if it changes fast, it's evolution. If it changes slow, it's, it's evolution. evolution. If there's no change, it's evolution, it's evolution. right? So it's, it's like that's always like the catch-all yeah. phrase there. It's a win-win. Um, but I think the main takeaway here from this article is they use what's called an equivocation fallacy. They equivocate on that word natural selection, and they equivocate with evolution. They say, look, see, uh, natural selection's happening all around us. Therefore, evolution's happening all around us. So you got to be aware of that bait-and-switch there fallacy that they're using over and over again. And we see this over and over again with so many of these different evolution uh, type of articles. And I like mean, Brian, natural selection is a loss of information. Yeah, right? it's going, evolution it's going is the wrong a gain way. of information. Yeah, the they are way. two different definitions, two completely different things, and we have never seen anything gain information and become something outside exactly. of its created kind, as Genesis chapter one describes mm -hmm. in creation. So, bottom yeah. line, we learned that lizards make variations yes, of lizards. lizards. That's a big waste of time. And that's evidence of evolution. <laughs> It's kind of like the next article. Come on, throw yours. Come on, come on, Jennifer. I think it's the next article. <laughs> it is the, the next, next article. article. goes right along. Pretty much the same right. thing. So over 500 fish have rapidly evolved in a single lake thanks to hybridization, which is just reproduction, variation, speciation. And so in Lake Victoria, yep. uh, over a span of 16,000 years, according to them, now that number is wrong, probably a few thousand years. This would mm -hmm. be post-flood, so three or 4,000 years, but definitely not 16. But over a tiny time frame, 500 species of cichlid fish have managed to evolve into variations of Cichlid, cichlid fish. Fish. Remain fish. Thanks to interspecies breeding. They're all part of the cichlid fish. Hundreds of variations, all from three different lineages, but they're all cichlid fish. And it's happened in the evolutionary blink of an eye. They say this is absolutely crazy. And I love this quote. This, this scientist says, it's kind of like, it happens so fast, it's kind of like a rabbit turning into a wolf within an eye blink. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> no, it's not, it's guys. Really no, not. It's really not. No, it's really not. A fish, okay. a fish becoming a fish is and not. And he just, he just states it as a fact. It says it takes over a million years for a new species to evolve. They just like sort of state it without actually even justifying it. But I don't know. I think that there's too many of these fish articles. We got to scale them back here, Brian. <laughs> too many of these. Uh, get scale it back. Nicely done. Oh, uh, can I say right. I'm offended hey, by we that? We have lunch that, already. Yet? Did, wow. Turned down the <laughs> Someone just turned down the lights. <laughs> what? <laughs> Uh, wow, look at that. Look at, I'm not sure that's right. on purpose that or was, not. Um, okay. confidential, so, <laughs> so from this article, fish evolved into fish? Fish yes. into fish? we have lizards into lizards. We have okay, fish into fish. Go. Okay, there we go. We're throwing papers. We're throwing today. papers everywhere. <clears throat> Last article, very quickly here. So survival of the fittest, or survival of the newest, rather. The mammals that survive mass extinction aren't as boring as scientists thought. Oh, that's uh, And I love the start of this article, by the way. It says, when an asteroid hit the Earth 66 million years ago. Once upon a time. Stated as absolute fact, right? But it's really once upon a time. The dinosaurs, except for a few birds, which they classify as dinosaurs, all died out along with lots of mammals. Some small mammals survived and laid the groundwork for other mammals alive today to evolve over time. And the argument goes, well, they used to think that it was the kind of the generic mammals that could survive in all sorts of situations that survived the mass extinctions that they say occurred and they evolved what we see today. They weren't very specialized. But now they're looking at the fossil record in more detail. They're saying, wow, it looks like some of the mammals that survived were very specialized yeah, and yet they survived the mass extinction and helped lead to more evolution post the extinction. So they're basically saying either the creature was very generic, it's a mutt, and that's why it survived, or it's very specialized like a poodle, and that's why it survived. Either way, it survives because of evolution. That sounds boring. Yeah. No, I, just... I mean, basically what we see is specialization because God created them with exactly what they needed to survive in the environment they lived in and to eat the foods that he gave them, and he gave them pandas large teeth so they could eat bamboo, and yeah. we shouldn't yeah. be surprised that we see these structures. They 
are confused by it because they say only the generalists, that was the term they used. Those organisms they believe that could live off just about anything and didn't require special features could have survived the multiple mass distinctions, right? There's more than one that um, they actually address. So, so. Maybe your time just scale. another yeah. weekly yeah. installment of this changes everything, which shouldn't surprise us, right? Because all of this is built on the shifting sands of man's opinions. Man's opinions are changing all the time. Man's ideas are changing over and over and over again. Yep. But what doesn't change? It's God's word. It's God's word. We have to go back to it, Christians. Let's, let's build all of our thinking on God's word, which doesn't change. And we have a great resource. It's called Glass House. Yep. It's our latest book on shattering the myth mm -hmm. of evolution. Uh, a lot and the reason of why it's crossed out is because a theory requires mm -hmm. scientific evidence, evidence scientific which evolution method, right? you doesn't can't. have. So if you guys want to learn more no about that from science. a biblical worldview, from a biblical perspective, highly mm -hmm. encourage you guys to check it out. You, uh, you don't have to have a PhD in biology. Mm -hmm. It's a really, at a really great mm -hmm. level. Anyone can understand it, really. Um, if I can understand it, you guys can under understand it, too. So I don't know. You're a rocket scientist. <laughs> <laughs> It's just rocket science. That. Rocket but, science but that's not rocket I, I science. I disagree with right. It's brain surgery. It's, uh, that might be something different. But. All right, a couple of quick announcements, and we'll wrap up for today. First, we've got a conference coming up in just about a week from now, or a little less than a week, Day of Latino, mm -hmm. a special, special outreach to the Spanish-speaking community. It'll be a great event. It's always well done. So if that's within your wheelhouse, if you're fairly close by, come on, visit us for that. Maybe you still sign up if you go online. And then we've got some special trips coming up. I'll let... Dr. Rivera, tell you about this one. Yeah. I'm super excited about this. I'll be uh, hosting this event. We're going to be going to the Galapagos Islands. It is the first time Mansions and Genesis will be going there. And guess what? You're going to get to go visit more islands than Charles Darwin did when no. he was there. So I think that is pretty cool. Uh, but we're going to be looking at it through the lens of God's perfect word, uh, mm -hmm. looking at the different animals that we see there, some of the same uh, examples that Charles Darwin saw. But uh, we're looking at it, as I said, talking about natural selection and how it's not evolution. That's going, to be, that's going to be a great trip, but this mm -hmm. other trip will be even better. Uh, yeah. I'm unbiased uh, completely because I'm going on this trip. We're doing a dinosaur dig over in Glendive, Montana. This will be next year. Both these are next year, right? Yes, Summer next, next year, 2024. Mm -hmm. They're both going to be phenomenal trips. We're excited to get to do this. Such a privilege to do so. Partner with another ministry out there. We'll actually dig up dinosaur bones, maybe do some casting of those bones, do some teaching I about dinosaurs in the Bible. I found a triceratops vertebrae when I was there. I got to bring it home when I was there last year. So that was pretty cool. And so there are still a few spots available on this trip and the other one, too. If you are interested in those, be sure you go to the Creation Museum. Check out the Explore Excursions. You'll find it there. Scan the barcode. We'd love to have you on these. It's going to mm -hmm. be an incredible trip. Check into that. But, guys, that is all the time we have. We're so glad that you joined us today. Until next time, keep standing on God's Word. See you guys. God bless. Bye.